We began this uh, series a couple weeks ago in which we're talking about what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. What is the life of a Jesus follower to be like? And last week I kind of expanded that question just a little bit and pointed out that being a, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ makes you a disciple. And if you are a disciple, then you're also supposed to be helping others follow Jesus. And at the heart of all of this, as we've been talking about, is relationships. The first relationship is the relationship that we have with God. It's also the most important relationship. The second relationship is the relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters right here in this family of God, which comes, by the way, as a result of the relationship that we have with God. And the third relationship is the relationship that we have with those who do not know God at all. And this is important uh, because we need to understand that <clears throat> Jesus did not save us just so that we could, you know, stick to ourselves until He comes again. He didn't save us for a holy huddle. You may have heard that phrase before. We've been afforded this relationship with Him that is supposed to spill into every relationship that we have with everybody else. It spills into a relationship that we have one another with one another right here in the body of Christ that then spills into the relationships that we have with people who don't know Jesus at all. And what happens is, is that through those relationships, God can, through us, through you, draw people to himself. We become agents of, of God's love, and, and that, that is a very... That is an incredibly attractive and powerful thing. I pointed out each week that, at, that the heart of this is, is about how we use our time, because relationships take time, right? <laughs> Married people, yeah, relationships take time. Any relationship takes time. And, and the only way to make that relationship work is to commit time to that relationship. We have to commit to the time that we have one-on-one -on -one with God. We have to commit to the time that we have within the body of Christ to, to grow and to gather together. Uh, we called week one our God time, that time that we spend with God. It's, 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 God time is spending time in fellowship with God. That's what it is. And the second week, we talked about our, our gather time. That's, that's this, what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. Gather time is spending time gathering for worship. And this week, we're going to talk about grow time, and then the following week after that, we're going to talk about go time. And I really hope that you will be here for week four because we're going to kind of latch on to a special challenge for each one of us as we wrap this up. But this week, I'm going to talk about grow time. And grow time is spending time growing in our faith with others. You'll remember each week that Jesus has been the model for each one of these areas. We've turned to Jesus' life, to his ministry, to see how did Jesus do God time? How did Jesus do gather time? And we can also see here how Jesus did grow time. We're going to briefly be in the book of Mark. If you want to go there with me, we're going to spend most of our time in Colossians. But Mark chapter 3 is where I'm going to start this morning. Mark chapter 3, verse 13, and this is what we read. He went up to the mountain. This is Jesus. He went up to the mountain, and he called to him those whom he wanted and they came to him. Let's just pause right there for a moment. One, one of the incredible things about the language uh, that Scripture was written in is that it is, it is very rich beyond the surface. 
If you've ever taken time to, to really uh, dig into what's being said in Scripture, you'll find that the, the language that was used was so very rich, and sometimes there are many more things being said than we see on the surface when we read our translation of Scripture that we hold in our hands. When we read something like this, we may look at it like a schoolyard pick, like Jesus went and stood on the rock and he was putting his team together. He said, all right, you know, um, I'll take Matthew. Um, let me see. Luke looks, and then uh, I'll take Simon. Let me, the, you guys, you're on my team. Uh, that's what this could very easily look like for us, that Jesus is just picking people to be on his team. But what the original Greek language reveals to us is that when our English language says that Jesus called to him those whom he wanted, it means that he intentionally and purposefully called these men to enter into a relationship with him. It was not a schoolyard pick. It wasn't like, well, I got 20 guys to pick from, 30 guys, 40 guys. He picked these people very intentionally and very purposefully. <clears throat> and so when they came to him, it wasn't like, yeah, Jesus, I'll play on your team. I'll play on your team. Can I kick first? It, it wasn't like that. It, it, it was, no, this is a commitment to be in a relationship and to go wherever Jesus goes. It's like they are committing to a journey with Jesus. Let's move on in verse 14. It says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles to be with him, and to be sent out to proclaim the message, and to have authority to cast out demons. Now, we know this from Mark chapter 3 as Jesus calling the twelve disciples it's basically a small group because these were not the only people that Jesus spent time with, but they were the people that Jesus spent the most time with. <clears throat> and if you track Jesus' life throughout the Gospels, you will see that Jesus does spend time with others, but, but there is just a great deal of time that is just spent with these 12 that he has invited into a committed relationship with him. So we see here that Jesus is modeling for us the value of getting alone with a small group of people and doing life with them. We call that grow time. Time that we spend on a consistent basis with a small group from the church where you gather. So now, <clears throat> I want us to shift over to some of what the Apostle Paul writes uh, because it really shows us what these small groups from the community of faith are meant to look like. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 with me very quickly. Colossians chapter 3. Before I, I get into that, I, I want to just go back um, and just uh, say something. Last week, I tied in the gather time with one of our key mission pieces, and that is, um, if you recall, I talked about how gather time links up with our mission strategy of, of come, to, to come to service. And, and specifically, it says this, to join us in weekly worship, where we enthusiastically glorify God, connect with one another, and prepare for the challenges of life together. That's what it means to come to church. We want you to come and be a part of it. The second piece of that. Uh, when we're talking about grow time, we also have a mi mission strategy piece here that ties into that, and it is connect. 
And connect means to engage in a regular time of discipleship with the goal of personal spiritual growth and meaningful accountability. And this is, this is very important for us. I want to make sure I hit this. This is very important for us, church, because our ability to experience mission success as a church is tied to the willingness of the people of the church to live their lives as followers of Jesus. If we're going to realize our mission, you all have to be committed to living your lives like followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't really matter <clears throat> how good anybody <clears throat> up here is. It doesn't matter how good music is. It doesn't matter how good preaching is. It doesn't matter how good programs are. You all have to commit to living your life like a follower of Jesus Christ. And I tell you this because the things that are a part of our mission, that are part of our strategy, they're not, these are not things that we pulled out of thin air. <laughs> this is scriptural. This is what the Bible teaches us. These things are, we're going to learn this morning, they're non-negotiables in God's eyes. That's how important they are. So let's shift over to Colossians. I apologize. I want to make sure I, I hit that this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 <clears throat> says this, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. <clears throat> and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs to god and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him one of the mistakes that we might make when we look at a text like this and we read it is that we see this word you and and we assume that it is a singular you where i'm from that would best be translated, y'all. <laughs> Around here, I believe the correct word is youns. Youns. Which makes even less sense. I don't even know where the apostrophe goes in youns. I don't know. But I have heard people around here say youns. Youns, yins. Uh, so... This is what Paul's saying. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yuns <laughs> with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven yuns. So yuns must also forgive. I won't go on. This is a collective thing that Paul is talking about. It is not a message just for you or just for you. It's for you, you and y'all. That's what I say. But this really changes the tone of what Paul is saying, and this is important, because this is not just a message for you. It's not just a message for me. It is for us, right? And we talked a lot about us last week. Y'all remember that? I'm sorry, you remember that? Uh, the bottom line from what Paul is saying is this. 
Us need to listen, all right? Us need to listen to what Paul's saying. Now, let me back up just a little bit. Last week, I talked about the importance of gather time, and Scripture is, is very clear on this. One component of being a follower of Jesus is being engaged with His bride. This is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. There's just no way around that one. And I know that that makes some of us uncomfortable. It might even irritate some of you because it goes against what you want to hear. And, and okay, I'm sorry. But I want to give you another significant truth this morning from Scripture that would, may also make you uncomfortable. But sometimes uncomfortable is what pushes us out of our rut. So here's the truth. Without community, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. Look at that. Without community, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. Just the other day, I saw someone on Facebook say something like, you know, I'm not going to church anymore, but I'm just living more and more like Jesus every day than I, than I ever was before. And I think to myself, how is that possible? How, how is it possible for you to be living more and more like Jesus and neglect his bride and not be a part of the fellowship of believers? One of the kind of the sad things that we have seen in North American Christian culture in particular is the individualizing of our Christianity. And, and it, says, it says this, my faith is about me and God. That's it. My faith is about me and God. And, and what that does is it creates this mindset that says, I can participate in community if I want to. So let's go back and look what Paul says in our text today, because he lists off eight different characteristics of what our lives should look like as followers of Jesus. Look at them with me. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and loving one another. Those are the eight things that Paul lists in our passage, and that's a lot of stuff. That's a, that is a lot of things that we're supposed to do. A lot of characteristics that Paul says are supposed to be a part of our life. In other words, this is what Jesus is to look like lived out in me. That's what Jesus should look like lived out in me and lived out in you, those things. If, if it were all on me, if, if I carried the responsibility for being compassionate <laughs> or being kind all of the time or being humble, then I would be an absolute, utter failure. I would fail at it because by nature, I am not all those things. But Christ in me is those things. You hear me, church? Christ in me is those things. When I open myself up to allow Christ to live through me, I become compassionate. I become kind. I become patient. And by the way, when Paul says in our scripture to clothe yourself, clothe yourself, that does not mean if you want to. It's an instruction. It's something that Paul is saying, you do this. These are not optional characteristics, guys, for a follower of Jesus Christ. This is not a menu list, and you pick the top four that work for you. This is what God expects of us. This is what Jesus calls us to. But check this out. I don't know if you noticed, but... <clears throat> You cannot live these things out outside of community. 
I mean, I suppose you can be really nice to yourself. You can deal with yourself. Compassion, what's compassion? It means to feel deeply for someone else, not you. Compassion means feeling deeply for someone else, deeply enough that when they hurt, you hurt with them. And if you're not involved in someone else's life, you can't get to that point at all. If you're not doing life with someone on some level, you're not going to get to the point where you can have that kind of emotion. See, some of us just show up here on Sunday morning, we wave at one another, we shake hands, and we go on our merry way. We don't ever do life with anybody else. We never get into the trenches with anybody else. We never get the opportunity to really exercise compassion because we don't even know if they're hurting, let alone why. What about kindness? Our kindness is when our compassion steps into action. Our attitudes and our actions begin to try and meet the needs of somebody else. We get to the point where we want to remove some of the hurt that the other person is carrying if we could just take some of it. Humility, Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. Humility is looking at someone else as being more important than you. If there's no if there's not a someone else, you can't live that one out either. Meekness, that's harnessing your strength for the good of somebody else. Patience, this is the fifth characteristic that Paul lists, and, and we can see this word in two different ways, and this is why the Greek is important, because in the Greek, patience is communicated two ways, and one of them is Patience in dealing with the circumstances in your life. That's not the way it is here in Colossians, by the way. <laughs> the patience that Paul talks about here in Colossians is patience with other people. Bearing with one another just means putting up with others, even when they fail or mess up or act differently than what you expect them to. Putting up with other people's shortcomings and their weaknesses. We have forgiving one another just showing grace when someone wrongs you. And the last one is love. And the, Paul, the word that Paul uses here in Colossians is the highest expression of love that we find in the New Testament. It's agape, and it describes the love of God. So here's the point of all this. We can, we can only become all that God desires for us to be when we allow Him to live His life through us in loving relationships with other believers. We can only become all that God desires for us to become when we allow Him to live His life through us in loving relationships with other believers. I, I cannot live out these things. I cannot live out these things that are listed in Colossians 3, 12, 13, and 14 without some sort of intimate relational community. And, 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 and by that kind of community, I mean something more than what's happening in this place today, okay? I mean something more than this. I told you last weekend that we carry a responsibility for the spiritual well-being of one another. We all carry that, that responsibility for one another. And, and that's why we gather. That's why we come and do what we're doing here, because it's not just about us. It's not just about you. You are not here this morning just for you. You are here for this morning for what we saw here and here and here and here, in part, 
But these things only happen in community. It's the kind of community that Jesus was creating in Mark chapter 3 when he called to him those whom he wanted and they came to him. So following Jesus has always been about community, not just a large group gathering type of community, but intimate community. We see it in Jesus' ministry with his disciples, and we see it in the early church. And I briefly mentioned this passage last week, but kind of skimmed through it because of time. But I want to look at it again with you this morning, because it shows us what was happening in the early church. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, before I read this, as you're turning there, understand that this this is going to be just a short period of time after Jesus' earthly ministry. His death, his burial, his resurrection, and then we see him appear to 120 of his followers. And then, as recorded in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples as they were gathered together at Pentecost, and Peter starts preaching fire. He starts preaching fire like he's never preached before. And the Scripture tells us that thousands of people were added to the church, that people were getting saved, and the body of Christ was growing. And here's what's happening in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day... As they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I want us to look at the bookends of this particular scripture. Right here, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's one end of this. And here's the other end of it. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. You have to see this. Discipleship in in small groups and small community has been happening from the very beginning. This is not a modern invention. Some of you have been in the church long enough to remember <clears throat> when small groups kind of began to come, become a thing. And like many other changes in the church, it was a battle. But this is not new. This, this was not something that was planned. They didn't program this. It was, it was a byproduct of the community that already existed, a byproduct of what they were already experiencing as a community of faith. And each piece that we have been talking about for the past few weeks, they're like, they're like sequential blocks that come together to form the whole. It starts with God time. 
in which we are personally and passionately seeking to firm up and to strengthen the relationship that we have with the Lord. And out of the strengthening of that relationship that we have, there's this initial overflow that is realized in our gather time. When we come together and we glorify God and we experience his presence in a powerful way and to be with one another, but out of that comes a, a greater desire for more intimate community, and we know that as grow time. It is greater fellowship. It is increased connectedness. And everything that we read about in Acts, it was just happening because they were doing all of these things. And it was just, it was just a byproduct. It was almost like crazy. They wanted to be together. They liked the people at their church. Here at MP Naz, we have a, a pretty long history of discipleship in small groups. It was happening well before I got here, and over the years there have been different names and it's functioned in a variety of different ways, but the idea has generally been the same. And if you receive our weekly email, you'll see that uh, each week we have information about the discipleship uh, that's available and, and, it's, and it's repeated in there. It's, it's, just, it's a part of the church, but, but here's the challenge. Here's the challenge that we have, church. We, we do have some great um, discipleship groups that are already in place here at the church. In fact, some of them are bordering on small churches, okay, um, which is not really ideal <clears throat> because when you want to have intimate community, you really got to keep those numbers under control. Um, but of the discipleship groups that we do have available, as in there is space in them for more people, there are only a few. There's only a few that have space. So I will tell you what that means. It means we need more discipleship group leaders. Uh, we need leaders that see the value and the necessity of discipleship as not just a, a social get-together, but a group of people who are committed to one another, and they'll live out these things that Paul's talking about in Colossians 3. We, we don't need leaders who are theologians, okay? We don't need leaders who are biblical scholars, but we need leaders that are hungry for the Word of God and want to bring others along on that journey with them. We need people who have homes that can accommodate larger groups, why? Because some of us would love to lead, but we look at our living room and go, I don't know, I don't know. Some of you have spacious living rooms and big, great rooms and a wonderful yard for kids to run in. You could host. I'm very thankful for the work that Pastor Matt and Miranda have done in the area of discipleship since they've been here um, in their time here, they've been able to connect with, with the discipleship leadership. They provided support and guidance to, to the discipleship leaders, uh, and they themselves are leading a discipleship group. In fact, all of your staff are, are actively involved in leading at least one discipleship group. Um, so they're setting the example as they go, but we need more. We just need more. We need to do more. Pastor Matt, uh, numbers guy, um, shared this with me this week. Going into December of 2021, 
we had 80 people in this church engaged in discipleship. Okay? 80. 17 of you are overzealous. <laughs> You're like, I go to four small groups. I am discipling everywhere all the time. Um, that's, uh, that means that about 25 to 30%, maybe a little bit more of our congregation is actually involved in discipleship. Twenty-five to thirty percent of our congregation is actively committed and involved in discipleship. So let me remind you of the one main thing that I wanted you to catch this morning. Without community, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. So think about that for a moment. In the first week of the series, my challenge to you was this. One percent of your day 15 minutes, God time. Just you and God. Prayer, reading the word, listening, being quiet, being still. 1% of your day, 15 minutes. The next week, I challenge you with 1% of your week for gather time. That's this right here. That was last week. You guys, are, you guys have a perfect track record, okay, because you're here this morning. So you're, okay. Um, 90 minutes, being a part of the weekly gathering. <clears throat> so here's my challenge this week. Give 1% of your time each month to grow time. And here's what that looks like. It's about seven hours. About 720 hours, give or take, in your average month. Seven hours. Some, I, see one, I see one discipleship group leader laughing because she's like, we get seven hours in one night sometimes. Um, but this can look like, like, for instance, my discipleship group, we meet twice a month. We meet on the second and fourth Sunday of the month. And between those two, we're getting close to that, maybe that time frame, a couple hours together, maybe two and a half hours after lingering time. Jerry can go for three or four hours. Um, I know some small groups, they meet once a week. It's really easy to hit that. I know John's got a Bible study at his house every Monday night. I bet you they're hitting that mark every month. It can look like a number of different things. It can look like getting involved in the discipleship group. If you go to our website, if you go to the email we send out every week, you'll see the groups that are available. We make it very clear. These are the groups that are available right now. And maybe that's a place you can plug in. But here's the other thing. Some of you are perfectly capable, spiritually mature enough, and need to step up and say, you know what, I would like to lead a small group. Now, <clears throat> Uh, I'll come back to that. Another way you can do this is you can find one or two others and you can commit to getting together, you know, maybe a couple times a month and start reading through Scripture together and start praying together and start keeping one another accountable because this is also discipleship. Faithful, committed relationship building with two or three other people where you are learning the Word of God together. That is also discipleship. Now, as I said before, part of what makes discipleship groups effective is that they stay fairly small and intimate, okay? And, you know, I'm giving, I'm, they know who they are. I'm giving them a hard time because I used to, you know, when we were at our previous ministry, we used to have upwards of 80 people at our small group. Now, half of those were probably kids. 
because we were all trying to catch up with the Duggars down there in <laughs> Arkansas. Um, but it was still way too big for a small group. Um, so groups need to stay small and intimate. Ideally, about 12 adults is really the range that you want to be in. Um, and with that number kind of being the cap, we only have a few groups that have any space. So new leadership is key for us. And I, and I just want to reemphasize what I said to you earlier. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a, a theologian. You just need to have the desire and make the commitment and listen to the leading of the Lord. Now here in a few weeks, <clears throat> for those of you who are currently discipleship leaders, and for those of you who might be thinking about making the commitment between now and then, I want you to hear this because sometimes we get scared and feel like we're going to be out there all by ourselves. First of all, you are not going to be out there by yourself. Pastor Matt is, is heading up this discipleship stuff, and he is going to be your best asset and helping you as you step into leadership. But one of the things we're doing, existing leaders and new leaders, we're going to start having something we call Discipleship Leader Connection. And the first one's coming up on Sunday, February 20th. It's going to be right after church. We're going to do it potluck style. And we're just going to get together for an informal time where we can talk about what God's doing in our groups, where we can share our challenges, where we can pray for one another, where we can maybe share some ideas, maybe talk about, hey, we just did this book together and it went really great, or this we did this book and I would not recommend it, don't do it. You'll hear from Pastor Matt to give you more suggestions and more ideas. We want to equip you as leaders. We want to equip our small groups. I share that because... I want all of our discipleship leaders, both our current ones and our future ones, to know that this is important to what we are doing here at MPNAS. Hear me. This is important to what we're doing here. It has to be. It has to be important. Eighty people in this congregation are currently engaged in discipleship. And can I be real for you just for a second? I know that guy, you're shocked for me to be real. That is unacceptable. It's sad. Because if you're going to live your life as a follower of Jesus, you must be engaged in the work of making disciples. That's what a disciple is. Someone who makes disciples. Not just me. Not just the ones that get paid. All of us have that responsibility. Jesus said this in Matthew 28. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, guys, he was not just sending out missionaries. You hear me? He was not sending out missionaries to go overseas and to, he was not sending out pastors and, and to go lead churches. He was standing before a large group of people, and he was giving them this command. You, you, go make disciples. And sometimes we also, here's where the Greek is confusing to us. What Jesus is really saying is, as you go, make disciples. As you work your job, make disciples. As you raise your kids, make disciples. As you live your life, make disciples. See, sometimes we say, go, oh, I need to pack my bags and go to Africa. No, walk down the street. <laughs> walk through your neighborhood. Wherever you are going, you are charged with the task of making disciples. And at that point, it was this launch point 
that was combined with the infilling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who were there that incredibly sacred and powerful day. Those who chose to be obedient to Jesus' command, they laid the foundation for where we find ourselves today. You understand that? We are here today because a group of people heard what Jesus said and go, I, th I think he was serious. Let's go do that. Let's go make disciples. If nothing else, church, we have future generations to consider. What are, what are we preparing for them? If, if, if the work of discipleship dies with you, if it dies with me, what will remain 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now? Go, make disciples, teach them. Jesus says, I will be right there with you. 1% of your month, seven hours, are you willing to step up to the challenge? Would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, my prayer for us today is that I think specifically of, of those that are in this room or those that are watching today may, may be feeling a heavy conviction falling on them right now. Maybe they've even been talked to by me or one of the other staff or maybe by their uh, discipleship group leader. And they have, a, they have the ability, they have the gifting they, to lead and to teach. And so, God, I pray that if that's the conviction they're sharing, that they, would act, that they would act on that. But, God, I pray also for those that are in this room today that are not actively involved in discipleship. God, would you place this as a burden on our hearts? This is essential, essential to the life of the church that we be engaged in discipleship at some level. Father, help us not to just go through the motions and play the game, but to be passionately pursuing you together. God, I believe, <laughs> I believe that amazing and powerful things could happen if we would step out and actually be obedient to what you have called us to do. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's, let's sing together.